Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Bilbo almost gets eaten again. Has to save the dwarves again. And meets elves again. This is episode 100. Wow, 100 episodes already. Of the Lore of the Rings podcast. And today we explore J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit, Chapter 8, Flies and Spiders. Now, let's wander. Let's check the map. These map checks are inspired by the beautiful maps that accompany the Lord of the Rings books, and I hope give you some context for today's story. It is the Third Age of Middle-earth, over 3,000 years into the Third Age, but we are 60 or so years before the events of the Lord of the Rings books. We've been following the adventures of the hobbit Bilbo Baggins, as he accompanies the dwarf Thorin Oakenshield in a quest to reclaim the dwarven homeland of Erebor, or the Lonely Mountain. Bilbo, Thorin, the other dwarves have just enjoyed a respite in Bjorn's house, and Gandalf the wizard has left them at the edge of the forest of Mirkwood. They must pass through this dark forest if they are to achieve their purpose. The pattern continues. New chapter, new creature. Will this creature try to eat Bilbo? I think you know the answer, but let's explore how Tolkien introduces this new creature. The first hint is that everything in the forest is black, even the squirrels and the random boat. This is a dark forest. And in Middle-earth, that is not a good thing. Next are the cobwebs. Quote, the nastiest things they saw were the cobwebs. Dark, dense cobwebs with threads extraordinarily thick. Yes, you know where this is going. Not many dark, scary creatures create cobwebs. Perhaps the most terrifying clue is this one. At night, the company sees almost nothing, except they do see, quote, eyes. But the eyes Bilbo liked least were horrible, pale, bulbous sort of eyes. Insect eyes, he thought, not animal eyes. Only they are much too big. Dark, web-spinning creatures with large, bulbous eyes? This is gross. But if you are not yet sure where Tolkien is going, here's a few other insects that he describes in contrast with this new creature. Quote, dark, gray, and black moths. And Bilbo even wonders as he climbs the tree if spiders will be at the top. Why spiders specifically? And more intriguing, he does find spiders, but the narrator is careful to point out, quote, they were only the small ones of ordinary size. Um, thanks for that specific detail. But what other kinds of spiders are there? Ones that are not small and not of ordinary size? The spiders are hunting another insect, quote, hundreds of butterflies, that seem to be a sort of purple emperor. But these are, quote, a dark, dark, velvety black. Now, don't forget that Bilbo and the dwarves are all terribly hungry and thirsty. They had to carry a fat, sleeping bomber for some time, and even in desperation, they left the path for a light in the distant trees that promised to provide them with food and hospitality. Apparently, they didn't learn their lesson with the trolls. But there's another creature that isn't hungry, doesn't follow the path, and isn't interested in distant magic fires. In the chaos, after a third fire disappears, Bilbo is, quote, left alone in complete silence and darkness. That was one of his most miserable moments. 
He falls deep into thought, and what does he think about? What a hobbit would, quote, bacon and eggs and toast and butter. Again, Bilbo is in a moment of deep longing for food, when he almost becomes the food himself. He stirs from his thoughts just in time to realize that he is being wrapped in sticky spider string. Quote, he could only see the thing's eyes, but he could feel its hairy legs. It was trying to poison him to keep him quiet, as small spiders do to flies. Yes, poor Bilbo has become a fly to a large, poisonous, hairy spider. But he is able to draw his sword, stick it in the eyes of the would-be eater, and kill the spider. This is a major event for Bilbo. The small hobbit, underrated and misunderstood by everyone except Gandalf, picked for the poorest jobs, laughed at and insulted, yet still loyal and courageous. This small hobbit has become something unexpected. Quote, Somehow, the killing of a giant spider, all alone by himself, in the dark, without the help of the wizard, or the dwarves, or of anyone else, including the ring, I might add, made a great difference to Mr. Baggins. He felt a different person, and much fiercer and bolder. This is also when he names his sword, quote, I shall call you Sting. Bilbo now has the unfortunate task of saving the others in his party from being eaten by spiders. So what does he do? He sings a song, of course. Wouldn't you, if you had to save your dwarven friends from giant spiders in a place of, quote, dense black shadow, like a patch of midnight that had never been cleared away? Seems like a logical response to me. At any rate, Bilbo sings his song, insults the spiders, draws them away from the dwarves, cuts the dwarves free, distracts the spiders again, and they fight their way out. I particularly enjoy this poetic line, quote, At once the whole lot of them came hurrying after the hobbit, along the ground and branches, hairy legs waving, nippers and spinners snapping, eyes popping, full of froth and rage. Eventually, Bilbo explains to the dwarves that he is going to disappear, then does so. At the end of the battle, he is forced to retell them his whole tale with Gollum, including the bit about the ring. The dwarves have found a new respect for Bilbo, seeming to view him as their new leader, and, quote, they saw that Bilbo had some wits, as well as luck and a magic ring, and all three are very useful possessions. Bilbo absorbs all the praise given him, which has the effect that, quote, he began to feel there really was something of a bold adventurer about himself, after all. The spiders are not necessarily the only new fantastical creature we meet in this chapter. And while another creature is introduced, we've seen a variation of them before. While the party is crossing the river on the black boat, a dark deer gallops past them on the path. Now, for whatever reason, I remember when I first read this passage as a child reading The Hobbit. In my young mind, I thought, yes, they are saved! They can have some food! And the idea of a deer leaping over the wide river seemed incredible to me. Apparently, I imagined a very wide river. But this deer is actually a clue to another plot point that I missed as a kid. After the deer passes, quote, they became aware of the dim blowing of horns in the wood, and the sound as of dogs baying far off. It seemed they could hear the noise of a great hunt going by in the north of the path, though they saw no sign of it. So, some clues here. The dwarves can hear but not see this hunting party. And anyway, what creature is organized enough to lead a hunting party through the forest, complete with dogs, and have no need of the path that the dwarves are now occupying? What creature could carry horns with them and use them to communicate? 
Next are the fires in the distance that drive the dwarves to leave the path. At the first of these fires, they see, quote, elvish-looking folk, all dressed in green and brown. They were eating and drinking and laughing merrily. But the fire vanishes, quote, as if by magic, as soon as they try to approach it. The second fire is no better, as the fire goes out when Bilbo is pushed into the ring of light. The third is the most revealing. At this fire, the people are playing harps and singing. They also see, quote, a woodland king with a crown of leaves upon his golden hair. The people are bejeweled with green and white gems and with flowers. But again, as soon as Thorne approaches, the fire goes out and, quote, dead silence fell. After the battle with the spiders, these people are fully revealed. Quote, the feasting people were wood elves, of course. We're also told that they are, quote, not wicked folk, but they are, quote, distrustful of strangers. Now, we've seen elves before, in Elrond and his house, but these elves are different. They are, quote, more dangerous and less wise. The next few descriptions of these elves will make a lot of sense if you've read the Silmarillion or you've listened to every episode of this podcast so far. There's 99 ones before this one, so I hope you have. But Tolkien does the epitome of Tolkien techniques. He drops a bunch of references to ancient history that sound mysterious and cool, but don't actually explain anything unless you've read a lot of the lore which at the point of the writing of The Hobbit is mostly in Tolkien's brain and not much has been written, let alone none of which has been published. But we, the Wanderers of Middle-earth on the Lore of the Rings podcast, we know this lore. So, let's do some quick recaps, and I'll point you to further episodes if you want some refreshers. We'll get to those right after this break. We're not done yet. If you like this episode, please leave a review and share with your friends. And remember to subscribe if you haven't already. We'll be right back. You can be the hero of your own Marvel Comics adventure. Marvel Strike Force is an extraordinary mobile game, a haven for comic book enthusiasts and gamers alike. Lead your own fellowship of heroes and villains to battle against the forces of darkness that threaten the very fabric of the universe. From the menacing Doctor Doom to the formidable Apocalypse, every battle is a chance to prove your mettle. And right now, Marvel Strike Force is commemorating its six-year anniversary. That means free rewards await those who heed the call and sign up today. With weekly events and bonuses, this anniversary celebration promises a treasure trove of special rewards. Rally your allies, sharpen your blades, and dive into the action of Marvel Strike Force today. Use code MAXPOOL to unlock free new treasures. That's code MAXPOOL, all one word, on the mobile game Marvel Strike Force. Now, back to wandering. Alright, let's rapid fire through some deep lore that gets hinted at towards the end of this chapter. First is the sundering of the elves after they first awoke in Middle-earth in the First Age, thousands and thousands of years before the events of The Hobbit. After the elves awoke, they were visited by the Valar, the powers that govern Middle-earth, and invited to join them in the Blessed Realm in the Far West, the land of Valinor where the two trees blossomed and gave light to the world. The elves who embarked on that journey are known as the High Elves, and they are split into three groups. Tolkien names these groups later, but in The Hobbit, he also lists them, quote, the Light Elves and the Deep Elves and the Sea Elves. The Light Elves are the Vanyar, who went to Valinor and didn't return to Middle-earth. 
The Deep Elves are the Noldor, who went to Valinor but followed Feanor and others and returned to Middle-earth for various reasons. Most elves that we see in the movies are Noldor, including Elrond and Galadriel. The Sea Elves are the Teleri, the last group who were the slowest and who live on an island outside of Valinor. Not all the elves embarked on the journey to see the two trees, and not all those who did journeyed all the way to Valinor. Various splinter groups fell away from the journey at multiple points. The elven king in this chapter, later called Thranduil, is a Sindar elf. The Sindar elf started on the journey, but never came to Valinor. Celeborn, the husband of Galadriel, was also a Sindarin elf. For more info on the Great March of the Elves, their Sundering, and the various groups, listen to Episode 3, Where Elves Come From. Tolkien also mentions in The Hobbit that those elves who went to Valinor, quote, grew fairer and wiser and more learned, and invented their magic and their cunning craft in the making of beautiful and marvelous things. That's a bit of an understatement, seeing as how the elves, and Feanor, the uncle of Galadriel, created the three Silmarils, the great jewels that encapsulated the light of the two trees. Listen to episode 4, The Elves in Valinor, to explore more of that particular tale. The next lore drop in The Hobbit is this, quote, In the wide world, the wood elves lingered in the twilight of our sun and moon, but loved best the stars, and they wandered in the great forests that grew tall in lands that are now lost. Lots to unpack there, but for more info on the elves who remained behind and did not go to Valinor, check out episode 8, Meanwhile in Middle-earth. And the lands that are now lost are a reference to Beleriand. Beleriand is the main continent of the book called the Silmarillion, and was originally attached to the northwest corner of what we know as Middle-earth. At the end of the First Age, when Sauron's master Morgoth was defeated, Beleriand was sunk into the sea and lost. Episode 33, The End of the First Age, goes into the events that preceded the continent of Beleriand being lost to the sea. Most everything in Middle-earth, especially in the Third Age, is a lesser copy of something that came before it, usually in the First Age. This is the case with the dwelling of the Wood Elves that Bilbo met. They lived in a great cave, accessible only by a bridge that spanned a river and led to the gates of the cave. This dwelling is similar to two other elven strongholds before it. Thingol was a great elven king in Beleriand, and his primary dwelling was Menegroth, which means a thousand caves. Thranduil likely would have paid homage to Thingol, or at least respected him as the high king of the Sindarin elves. Another precursor to the Wood Elves cave in The Hobbit is the stronghold of Nargothrond. This also was a cave system turned fortress and was founded by Finrod. Yes, that Finrod, brother of Galadriel, who has the amazing haircut in Amazon's Rings of Power Season 1. Nargothron had one entrance on cliffs above a river, and only in its later years did the elves there build a stone bridge so that they could more easily move their armies in and out. For more on Nargothron, there's quite a few episodes you could check out, like 13, Thingol, Galadriel and Dragons, and 27, The Tragedy of Turin, Part 2. Feeling dizzy yet? I hope not, because I have one more for you. The origins of the animosity between the dwarves and elves. In The Hobbit, Tolkien writes, quote, They did not love dwarves and thought he was an enemy. In ancient days, they had had wars with some of the dwarves, whom they accused of stealing their treasure. It is only fair to say that the dwarves gave a different account and said that they only took what was their due. Thorin's family had had nothing to do with the old quarrel. 
Now, that's a lot, but it appears the king of the Wood Elves had some disagreement with the dwarves. However, there's a deeper story from the first age of Middle-earth, and it involved the Naglamir, a necklace forged by the dwarves and paid for that was later reformed to hold one of the three Silmarils. Thingol, the king of the Sindar I mentioned earlier, had a scuffle with the dwarves over this necklace and was killed by dwarves. A few battles later, and the elves reclaimed the necklace and Silmaril. And it is true that Thorin's family was not involved in the Naglamir and the subsequent battles. But Celeborn, who was a kinsman of Thingol, still held a major distaste for all dwarves, which we see in Fellowship. For more on the Naglamir and the conflict between elves and dwarves, listen to episodes 13, Thingol, Galadriel, and Dragons, 24, Baron and Luthien, Part 4, or 28, The Fall of Doriath. Okay, now you can be dizzy. Join me next time, where we'll compare this chapter to its on-screen adaptation. Thanks for wandering Middle-earth with me today. My friends, if you enjoyed this episode, let me know by subscribing, leaving a review, and sharing with your friends. Follow me on Facebook or Instagram at Lore of the Rings Podcast. For feedback on the show, please email me using the link in the show notes. Until next Thursday, remember, not all those who wander are lost.